Hi, everybody. Welcome back to my podcast. I'm really excited to be here in Tel Aviv, Yafo, or Yafa as well, with my friend Amit Aronson. And he is an expert on Middle Eastern, Arabesque food, Israeli. Uh, Israeli food. We'll talk about that in just a second. All the show notes for this episode are going to be in my newsletter, which is at davidlebovitz.substack.com. So there'll be photos of the food we're going to talk about. There'll be links to Amit's website and Instagram page where you can find out about his culinary tours, his life, his podcasts, and so forth. But I met Amit. I came to Tel Aviv maybe 10 years ago, and we sort of connected because we were on the same wavelength about you're very serious about food, not in a bad way, in a good way. You love to eat. And people, I don't know if they realize this, but Tel Aviv is on a scale of one to 10 as a food city, it's a nine and a half. You're nodding your head. I'm so, nodding. I welcome agree. to meet. Hi, what's up? Thank you for I having me, it. first of all. Thank you for coming to, to my part of Tel Aviv. Okay, we're, we're in Yaffa. We're, we're in the entrance. We're like right on the border between Yaffa and Tel Aviv. So like the, if Tel Aviv has an old city, Yaffa would be it. Okay. Sense of, you know, that's where everything started from. That's where Tel Aviv kind of emerged from. Uh, and we're like right... Uh, in the entrance to Yafo, in a place called El Calza. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it would be understating to say that this is a hummus place because it's, as you can okay. see on where the we're table, eating. Yes, okay. where we're eating today. It's uh, much more than just hummus. Hummus. One of my favorite places in all of Tel Aviv today, especially in the early morning, you come here to sample like real local Palestinian Arabic Yafo style cooking. I okay. mean, and, and everything that's on our table, you wouldn't find pretty much anywhere else, even out here in Yafo. Okay, so we're in a small restaurant cafe. You might say in English, like a humisseria, because we always mm -hmm. in English, you know, in America, we always want to add iria to something, <laughs> taqueria, whatever. But we're sitting here, we're having brunch. And one thing that my friend Reem Cassis was talking about when we were visiting her in Jerusalem, did people only eat hummus in the morning or lunch? That's very true. Yes. And why is that? Because uh, it's savory. It's savory. Uh, first of all, it's a bit like heavy in the sense that it really fills you for the... Mm -hmm. and, and keep in mind, we're in a poor man's cuisine area. So the logic behind... Poor even man's home, cuisine. What do you mean by that? In the sense that it, it was never like a it's rich area. Working class. Yes. Would you say? Even okay. uh, working class and, you know, even lower, like agricultural class. Mm -hmm. or like, you know, like... So people would get up early in the morning and you need to eat something that's wholesome, that'll mm -hmm. keep you going for the rest of the day, and that's cheap. Mm -hmm. And hummus really kind of, you know, ticks all the boxes there because... Chickpeas are high in protein. They're high in protein. They double in volume when you soak them in water overnight. <laughs> yes, <laughs> only it twice as much food in nature. Yeah. And it's easy to cook. You can do a lot, of, a lot of things with it. So hummus is usually really like a breakfast or let's say lunch. Like the hummus places in Israel that are open in the evening mm -hmm. are almost always non-traditional ones in the sense okay. that they'll be owned by Jews, they'll be run by Jews, Israeli Jews, uh, and they're not like traditional places. Mm -hmm. And this is really like what we have here. It's like a very traditional early lunch, late yeah, breakfast. It's 11 in the morning right now. And we're in this place and it's amazing because they bring you, I can't tell people enough how great the food here is in Tel Aviv. The freshness, everything's really fresh. Mm -hmm. um, the people really do a great job. Like in front of us, I'll let you talk about it in a moment, but we have falafel, we have a salad, we have bread, we have pickles, we have something with eggs on it. Mm -hmm. There's something that looks like stuffed eggplant. It is a stuffed eggplant. It's a stuffed 
They're pickled eggplants. It's okay. called magnus. Okay, and there's something with meat on it that looks like there's hummus underneath. There is hummus, but there's a lot more. So okay. I, will, I will tell you what this is on one term, that you eat it as I talk about it. Okay, I just should probably <laughs> tell people, and people might not know this, this is something I've learned over the years. Hummus is always chickpeas, and it's what you add to the top of it. So this one has meat and almonds yes. and parsley. So this is called fate. Fate. Fate means shredded, right? So fate. That's my one word of Arabic. I there know. is there is like the, the <laughs> origin of the word. Many people say it means shredded. There are like different kinds of fate, and this is like fate hummus, which means like it's a fate of hummus and not. I saw. I think in Jerusalem you had fate uh, of chicken, right? Yes, you had fate judge with, uh, with yes, rice. It was delicious, right? Yeah, and it was so fate is. A, like a hummus porridge. So in the bottom, oh, I see. There's... there's actually not just hummus. Okay. The main ingredient here is it is uh -huh. a stale bread in the sense okay. that it's a dish that was born out of a need to use bread leftovers, that the bread mm. is soaked in the cooking liquid of the chickpeas, mm -hmm. and then you add to mm. it a little bit of chickpea, a little bit of tahini, mm. yogurt. Okay. Samne, which is clarified butter. Okay. And uh, almonds and a bit of meat. The meat here, it's, it's not like the main thing. It's almost like a seasoning. You know, okay. it just gives like a touch of protein to the thing. Well, last night you sent me a text and you said, don't eat breakfast. Mm -hmm. So I, this, this is amazing. This hummus, it's like warm chickpea paste with meat and there's crunchy croutons, I guess you would say in English. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to describe it. And this is something I always find really interesting about foods um, of this region of Israel. I've been to Lebanon and other places. It's a, they mix all these, it's all about freshness and textures and flavors, but the food here is so fresh in yeah. Israel. It is, it is, it's very fresh. It's very simple in the sense that the, what makes mm. it so good is just the, the years and years of experience of perfecting the technique to get, oh. you know, to that beautiful consistency. And this is, by the way, a hummus you don't eat with a pita. You eat okay. it with a fork okay. or with a bit of onion, actually. You oh. like use the onion to scoop it. Okay. Um, so there's a plate of raw vegetables in front of us, always. pickled vegetables. In a, in a hummus place, you're, you're always supposed to get something fresh. Okay. And usually it's onion because onion is the cheapest fresh vegetable you can get. Cheaper than cabbage? Cabbage okay. doesn't go with hummus. And that's a good idea. Actually, though, when I was in <laughs> Lebanon, they said people now eat cabbage with like tabbouleh because they don't yeah. want to try to eat less bread. Everybody is that watching. Makes, that, that really makes sense. Like the lettuce, you know, like little lettuce cups yeah. of tabbouleh or... Um, but so, so you eat raw almost onion. Almost always, always raw onion. Okay, in France, um, you don't eat raw onions. I'm just, just letting you know when you come back to Paris. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So this and, is really... So this plate of pickles, can you tell us about it? So you have the onion, which is the basic. Is then you have raw onion. Three kinds of pickles. One is turnip. Mm -hmm. that is very purple because you add some beetroot to the brine. There is the yellow cauliflower that usually has a kind of curry powder. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually amba powder, you know, the spice that's made. Now, there's the amba paste that you make with mango. Mango, pickled but mango or vinegar. Here, it's usually um, just like a curry powder, like a madras curry and some uh, fenugreek, uh -huh. usually. Um, but it's I'm all very basic. Yeah, of course. I'm reaching. I love it that you're using your hands. That's, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. the way you should. And, and then you have mm. the pickled carrots as well. And this also is considered to be like a part of the pickle, the, the small eggplants, which are stuffed with uh, nuts and almonds. Okay. And they are brined with the filling. 
inside. And this is like a classic Lebanese uh, thing. Okay, so these are two eggplants that are about the size of golf balls. They've been yeah. split, they're stuffed, and then they're... Brined. Brined. For, yeah, what's fermented. Makdus. 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 Yes, Makdus. Somebody told me when I was in Jerusalem, um, he said, well, it's really hard for Anglophones to speak Arabic because we don't have the throat muscles. He goes, you have to work your throat muscles. Yes, that is so. true. So you have the makdus, and then I noticed you, you mentioned the falafel. Yes. But take one, please, with your okay. hand and slice it in half. Just okay. open it. Okay. Because so, the falafel here is not your ordinary falafel. Oh, it's green. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Wow. So this is stuffed falafel. Okay. It's a classic falafel mix that inside there's a thin layer of onions uh, and sumac. Okay. Sumac is like a... It's a, spice. It's, a, it's a berry, yeah, it's, it's tangy. Yes, it's very acidic. It's, it's used uh, to mm. be a lemon substitute in this area. Like when, the, even in the times of the Roman Empire, when they didn't have lemons, they would make a drink from sumac because it, it tastes like lemonade. Okay. And we have some tahini to go with the falafel and two kinds of, not really hot sauce, because classic heat doesn't really go well with this food. It's almost always like an acidic style mm -hmm. of heat. So we have the tatbine, which is uh, it's like a green lemon juice and almost like um, preserved, uh, like pickled jalapenos, mm -hmm. but they're not jalapenos. They're called shifka. They're like a local kind of pepper. Okay. And then this is called um, shata, shata. which is, just means the name of the pepper. But okay. in Arabic, in this region, when you say shata, you always mean the fermented shata okay. chili. So it's just chilies and salt. Can I Which, just do it that way? Yeah, of course. You can also, okay. you can all just, just do your, exactly, or the onion or okay. the spoon and double dipping is very, that. it's advisable even in Israel. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Um, and like, you These kind of- falafels are really good. They're really nice, right? Uh, they're made fresh to order. And the idea of the stuffed falafel, mm. it's usually something you only find during the month of uh, Ramadan. Okay. It's uh, especially, when you've been to the old city in Jerusalem, you see- you know, you have the bagel mongers, right? Mm -hmm. And then they sometimes mm -hmm. have like big falafel balls that they sell. Uh -huh. So during Ramadan, there's a lot of onion inside uh, the falafel. And it just, you know, it's just mm. beautiful because yeah. a layer of vibrant green, a layer of purple sumac with pine nuts as mm -hmm. well. And then another layer of green. It's all really crunchy on the outside. I have to say they're really delicious. I wasn't expecting I'm this meal. Because when you come to Israel, okay, this yeah. has happened to me before. My whole di uh, direct messages, DMs, fill up with people wanting me to go to places. Mm -hmm. It's a lot. And people are really insistent, especially in Israel. They're insistent you go to their place. So I only listen to you. Good you, choice. You didn't steer me wrong. <laughs> we had really good meals here. But this is amazing. Israelis are very um, adamant about their hummus in the sense that I, I sometimes joke that when four Israelis meet abroad, young Israelis, they first three questions you will ask was like, where are you from in Israel? Where did you serve in the military? And where do you eat your hummus? It's almost really like that. Okay. Like each one has its own flavor. This place where we're at has only been open for about two years, less okay. actually. There hasn't been a single person that I brought here that didn't immediately convert to okay, this place. To this place. Okay. Yes. So you're converting us. So tell me a little bit about your background. Because like I said, we met years ago mm -hmm. and I didn't really know you. And I can't listen to your podcast because it's, it's in Hebrew, Hebrew, but I'm working on it. I can read a little bit of Hebrew, but I don't know what I'm reading. But how did you get interested in food and what's your background? Okay, so I grew up in Jerusalem to a food 
obsessed family, which right. is just to say a Jewish Israeli family. Yeah. <laughs> And I loved, ever since I remember myself, I was interested in, in, in this world of cooking, of eating. Uh, I come from a family that we used to go eat out a lot. We used to travel a lot. Mm -hmm. And we're talking like the 80s in Israel. It wasn't very common at that time. Also from a family with like a very kind of diverse culinary background. Um, my grandparents used to live in Paris. They lived in Morocco. They lived in Argentina. They were sent there by the Israeli government for, so a lot of like cosmopolitan foods were on our table since we were very young. Like, okay. my grandmother used to make paella, but it wasn't like real paella, it was like... Because somebody told me who's a famous Israeli chef, globally known, he said, when I was a kid, the food was terrible in Israel. Um, the food, uh, especially in restaurants, was pretty bad. Uh, or good food wasn't as easy to find as it is today, uh -huh. and it was easier to find at homes than it used to be at restaurants. Keep in mind, yeah. It was hard to get most of the things here in the sense that mm -hmm. the first um, Asian restaurants to open in Israel, they, we didn't even have soy sauce when I was okay. a kid. There was no soy sauce in Israel. We had something called soy sauce that was manufactured by like, you know, the National Food Corporation and it was, okay. you know, water with caramel and salt. Ah, it wasn't like oh, real okay, soy sauce. Okay. Israel only opened up to the world, to the food world in like the early 90s. So for mm -hmm. example, the first sushi restaurant here like opened in 92. Uh, and I kind of grew up next to that, like in that period. Because in America, for example, we had a reckoning, I guess you could say. We had a food revolution mm -hmm. that started with Chez Panisse. And you did a stage, an internship in Chez Panisse, and I worked there. Yeah. It's sort of well known that Chez Panisse kind of changed the dynamic in America. And even in France, where you know food has always been really important in the last 20 years, there's been a huge improvement in mm -hmm. food. Like a lot of people recognized like we need to move away from modernization, industrialization. Yes. We need to get back to supporting small producers. So what happened in Israel? Like, how did Israel become like this a, amazing food country? Um, because of you, because of meals like this. <laughs> I, I think that Israel, first of all, we, we, we pretty much always had in the back of our minds or in the back of our heads, that perception of freshness, of farm to table, because we're an agricultural country. Yeah. Um, like seasonality was always a thing here. Cooking like from what you have mm -hmm. is a thing here. You know, what the mythologies of Israeli cooking was, you know, in the 50s, right after the founding declaration of independence, there were years of food rationing. Like people literally didn't have what to eat here. Mm -hmm. So they started foraging, for example. Okay. And so for example, foraging is here. It's almost like a romantic tradition because, you know, it's back. And so a lot of things that you had to kind of... Mm to revolutionize, for example, in the U.S. are always been a part of the culinary culture yeah. here mm -hmm. or the connection to, to the land and, and stuff like that. But what really kind of changed Israel is two things. It's the opening up to the world and to a whole world of produce and a whole world of new aesthetics. Um, so Thai food and Japanese food and um, real Italian food and uh, real French food. And mm -hmm. Israelis started traveling. They started getting influence from all over the world. And on the other hand, they started to acknowledge the power of what they had from home in the sense that Israeli cuisine today is based on, most of it is based on traditions that came from all over the world with right. Jewish immigrants. So Israel is really a melting it's pot. It's crazy. Like New York, pot. people yes. came here from like, other places. Like America, like the United States. But we have something special, we in Israel, because despite the fact that there are 
many big immigrant countries in the world, yeah. United States of America, Canada, Australia, uh, many other places. And still there's not a unified American cuisine, right? I think you would agree. No, there I mean, is people California, consider like pizza hot dogs, and, exactly. which are all but, from other countries. They're from other countries. There's very few, there's not like a language of cooking mm-hmm. that you can look or hear and say, this is American. Well, very it's few things. things we've or not like macaroni and cheese is considered American. It was yeah. French. It was brought over. Um, but Israel, right. and the reason I think this doesn't happen in most of the immigrant countries is because immigrant communities don't tend to blend together. Like they don't tend to, uh, to change information. You know, when you go to, um, I always give the example of David Chang from, mm-hmm. from New York, that he was the exception. He was, you know, the Korean kid that knew how to make Mexican food or, or Roy Choi from California. Um, they're the exception. In Israel, the ability to kind of, the borders between the different communities didn't exist. And it's because we all share a common cultural background, which is Judaism. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean Judaism as a religion. I don't mean that we need to, you know, practice the same faith. I mean that we have some common cultural things that enabled for us to, to interact with each other around food much easier than anywhere else in the world. Because what is the easiest thing to ask, even if you don't speak the same language and you were put in a temporary camp by the government in the early 50s, and you came from Iraq and your neighbor came from Tunisia and another neighbor came from Poland and another neighbor came from Argentina. Mm-hmm. So they don't speak the same language, they don't have the same cultural background, they don't use the same ingredients. Mm-hmm. But what they do, all do, is they have a big meal on Friday night for Shabbat. Okay. They all cook the same holidays. So you can pop your head through the window and ask your neighbor, what are you making for Super Saturday? What are you making for Shabbat? Okay. Because you know it's a festive meal. You know you're not supposed to eat bread on Passover, so you have all these traditions to, to, to make up for that. You know you are not supposed to cook during the Shabbat, during Saturday, so you have an overnight stew, like the okay. Cholent, the, the, you know, the classic Jewish stew that you put overnight. So each community, had a version of it. Had their own version and they all come together. But then they all came together. And for example, I first had Persian food in second grade because my neighbor was Persian and Mm -hmm. we went to school together. And when I took out a sandwich with cheese, he took out a small pot with kofte. Mm -hmm. And And kofte are... Like meatballs. Okay. Yeah, that was was his lunch. Okay. And first time I was really jealous. (laughs) A friend of mine who's French, he he grew up in the area where truffles are hunted. Mm -hmm. He said when they were kids, like these really poor kids would bring a giant truffle for lunch because it was free. Yeah, it's like the same with lobsters in the the United States, right? So just back up, I think Roy Choi might be from Hawaii, not California, but I'm not sure. Yeah, people can look it up. I give it as an example of the Korean-Mexican fusion. Uh, And so so Korean-Mexican fusion is rare. And it's rare because why would a Mexican grandmother, and excuse me for saying grandmother, I know you say grandparent, but sorry, in Israel, 60, 70 years ago, it was the grandmother's cooking. Yeah, always. Yeah. How can she interact with uh, a, a Chinese immigrant, a Mexican? Mm-hmm. What do they have in common? Here we had something in common. We didn't need the language. We didn't need nothing. But we, we could convene Around, around the tape, around food, around the concepts behind food. So the revolution that happened in Israeli food was people were chefs, which are kind of like my generation, I'm, I'm 41, mm-hmm. started realizing that they can utilize what they learned from their grandmothers, their grandfathers, their parents, their mm-hmm. traditional ways of cooking the old world 
and to utilize it on a whole new range of ingredients and a whole new set of that techniques. Were all, that were suddenly available. Yes. Okay. So when you go to a place like Santa Catarina, where you mm. had dinner, which you, was great, and you talk, for example, about, let's say, the Cubania, mm. their version of the rock, the, the Palestinian rock, rock Cube. Mm. So two things allowed for him to do what, what he does, because he serves it with mustard, for example, mm. and with like small uh, cubes of zucchini in the, in the mass, which is very non-traditional. Mm-hmm. But it's not his tradition to begin with. He's not Palestinian. He's not Arabic. Uh-huh. He's not, so he can he can tweak the traditions, and then he can also add the Coleman's mustard or stuff like yeah. that. Or Gaston Lenot said, "You can change anything as long as you can make it as long as you're making it better." And he's uh, you know the great I French pastry chef. I think you can change anything as long as you acknowledge where is it from, in the mm-hmm. sense that you can take. Um, Let's say a, a, a kube soup, which is this Iraqi dish. It's the dumpling, you know, it's made from semolina and inside mm-hmm. there's meat. And you cook it in a soup of uh, beetroot or uh, tomatoes. So this is something that all the grandmothers used to make. It's like a very, um, it's a, you know, the labor to make it is not that easy. You have to mm-hmm. know how to make the semolina yeah. dough really thin. And so it doesn't tear and then it doesn't break up during cooking. And, but let's say I'm a chef that grew up in a Iraqi Kurdish household, and I saw my grandmother making kube every day. Mm-hmm. But today I take her the muscle memory I have from her because I sat on the countertop and I learned from her how to make mm-hmm. kube. But instead of putting the meat inside and cooking it in the classic uh, beetroot broth, I'm putting seafood inside and I'm cooking it in tom yam soup. Mm-hmm. Let's say, let's okay. say whoa, 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 this is Israeli whoa. cooking. This is new Israeli cooking because it is. And, and when you read, if you read articles with Israeli chefs and interviews, there, there's always that kind of story in the background. Like if my grandmother or my grandfather knew what I'm doing with their tradition or with their recipe, they would probably roll over twice in their graves. But that's, that's the whole story. It's, it's the, the ability to tweak with traditions because we are not a very well-established food country like France, for yeah. example. You tell a French guy, let's change the croissant, let's change the baguette. No, it's impossible, right? Also, there's... Circumstances change things. Mm-hmm. You know, Irish immigrants came to America. They brought, yeah. And people like in America nowadays, they're like, you know, I want to make bouillabaisse, but I need all this, this kind of fish and this kind of fish exactly. and this kind of fish. And I'm like, well, that kind of fish isn't available in America. The idea of the dish was leftover fish. So use whatever leftover fish you mm-hmm. have to make bouillabaisse. So there's also an interesting, a lot of people, you know, this is a longer discussion probably for another time, and I'm not that well versed in it. But there's a difference between taking and sharing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, you know, think about appropriation. And I see a lot of people acknowledging now, this is like the dishes you've mentioned here, you've mentioned Iraq, Kurdish, mm-hmm. and so forth. And they all come together on this table in front of us. But for people coming to Israel, like what are the three things you think you must have? people should try that, you, that Israel does really well? Okay. First of all, Sabih. Sabich. 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 The sandwich. Yes. Okay. It's S. S A B I C H. Right. Sabich. Sabich, by the way, I very often start my market tours in Machne Yuda with giving each member of the group a half a portion of Sabich. Okay. It's because it's the best way to demonstrate how Israeli food came to be. So it's a pita sandwich. It's a pita sandwich that has uh, fried eggplants, Mm -hmm. a hard boiled egg. Sometimes uh, boiled potatoes, mm. fresh salad, tahini, mm-hmm. and uh, two kinds of sauce. Uh, amba, mm-hmm. which is a pickled mango, very runny kind of, kind like of chutney, chutney. In a way, yeah. uh, and hot sauce. Okay. So that's it. Mm-hmm. 
And what is sabich? How it came to be? Sabich is basically the traditional breakfast of Iraqi Jews. I, I tell people, if you ever get to Iraq, don't go looking for sabich. Don't go asking people in the street if they know okay. what sabich is. It does not exist in Iraq. It does not exist at all. It's a traditional food of Iraqi Jews on Saturday. They would come back from synagogue and they would take the hard-boiled eggs out of the overnight stew because they were always on the top of the pot, so they don't break. Cook. So exactly. use energy. They take it out and they put on the table fresh vegetables, hard-boiled eggs, fried eggplants, mm -hmm. and each member of the family would assemble like a little plate and there would always be pita next to it, Iraqi pita, which is flatbread. It's not a pocket pita. It's a lafa, mm. what we call it. It's like a it's very thin. Yes. And they would, each member of the family would assemble a sandwich. That was like the, that was their Saturday breakfast. A lot of uh, Iraqi Jewish immigrants came to Israel from the 50s and onwards. And in a small city called Ramat Gan, right next to Tel Aviv, some guy called Tzvi opened a little kiosk next to the main bus terminal. And he made that sandwich. He just started making it. Mm -hmm. Because that's what he knew how to make. It didn't even have a name, the dish. But the guy's name, Tzvi, his nickname that his wife used to call him was Sabich. It was his okay. Arabic nickname. And so the drivers picked up that she's calling him Sabich and they started calling him Sabich as well. Sabich, give me one. Like, Sabich, okay. can I, I have okay. a pita? Like, just. That's how the name came to be. Uh. And then that was in the, the late 70s. The place still exists, by the way, like the original Sabich. And then it was slowly modernized by street food vendors in Israel. And, and, and now, of course, they serve throughout the week, not only on Saturday. Sometimes you see the more modern versions, like you have sabich with cheese instead of uh, tahini. Mm. You have mushroom cheese. sabich. Yeah, okay. you have instead of the eggplant. It's always vegetarian. Though. It's always vegetarian. And if you omit the egg, it's, all, it's vegan by nature, which okay. is great. I know Chef Michael Solomonov, yeah. who lives in Philadelphia, he, mm -hmm. but he's from Israel. Yes. Whenever he comes back, he always says that's the first thing he has. Sabich? Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I think it's better than falafel, actually. Okay. Well, you, people know falafel. Like mm -hmm. People come to Paris and go to the falafel places. And have you been to one of those falafel? And we're going to get to the other two things. I you haven't can be been, honest. I've seen them. Okay. You can um, be honest. I haven't tried. But I always, like, when I go around the Marais, I see, you know, the people eating uh, the French way of eating falafel with the fork, yeah. which is uh, not very common in Israel. Yes. <laughs> I remember I was with an Arabic friend and he saw the falafel places and he said, he goes, they cook the falafel in advance. Mm. <laughs> and he said, like, no, like, where he's from, he's from Lebanon, he's like, nobody would eat a falafel if they didn't see it being fried. It's pretty much the same. That's the way it should be. That's very true. We're not criticizing anybody. We're just no, no. pointing it out. <laughs> you can't. Um, yeah. Well, well, maybe you can. <laughs> so sabit is definitely something you should have. Okay. So two other things like foods. Are... I would say that you have to have one like proper new Israeli style, like chef's meal. In the sense that you have to go to a restaurant that does new Israeli fare. A place like Santa Catarina. A place like uh, Brut in Tel Aviv, a place like uh, Machniuda or um, Jaco Street in Jerusalem. A place that where you can really see on your plate and in the menu, everything that I've talked about so far, mm -hmm. where you have influences from all over the world that all come up in one menu and it's more than harmonious. It's just like something that could not have been created anywhere else in the world. When we went to Santa Catarina, Madina Sussman wrote me. She goes, oh, well, you can always have a pizza there. I was like, I don't want pizza in Israel. 
And then we were eating, Roman and I were sitting at the counter in front of that, is it? Amazing, the tabun. The tabun, yeah. They were the first restaurant in Tel Aviv to have a tabun inside the restaurants. Well, we are sitting there and I see these, they're making pizzas and they looked amazing. And like, I want to go back tonight. And it's funny because Roman didn't, when we were coming to Israel, he was like, oh, okay, well, you know, we were, kind of, we were coming originally to see a friend of mine who was mm -hmm. coming to visit her family. And then we, I said, let's make a little trip. And he didn't know what to expect. And he said to me the other day, he goes, well, two things. Yeah. One of them was like, he's like, this has changed me, changed the way I think about this part of the world. Nice. And the other thing was he said, I love air conditioning. Because <laughs> <laughs> we don't have air, everyone in France yeah, hates we're, air we're, conditioning. We're very big on air conditioning here. Um, it's hot. I mean, it's, it's, it's like it's 90, hot. it's whatever, 30, 35, 35, 35 which is 35, I yes. think. Uh, which is, it's hot and yes. humid. Humid. Okay, so the third thing in Israel. So let's say we had like uh, street food and we had a proper meal, right? So let's think of what else you should, you definitely must have when you're in Israel. I can mention my number one thing. Yes, right. what would it be? Halva. 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 The halva. I mean, in America, we have halva. Like when I was a kid, you mm -hmm. could buy it at like the grocery. You know, they had like candy bars by the register and it was yeah. okay. And when I came to Israel, I had this, the most amazing hall I've ever had in my life. It was, it was like literally life-changing. And people use that term a lot now. Mm -hmm. Like life-changing loaf of bread, yeah. life-changing meal. It changed everything I knew about halva. It was like this delicious halva is very, It is very good here. Um, good, good call. Um, I went to Halva Magic, the mm -hmm. store. Is that considered the best? Yeah, I mean, okay. most of it is pretty much the same manufacturers and there's very, okay. there's very few real artisanal producers. Uh, you may saw one in the old city in Jerusalem. There's one in Abu Ghosh, which is a small village outside of Jerusalem. Okay. It's called the El Yasmin. But tahini is definitely something, uh, and halva is something you should bring back. Yeah. From Israel, I have sure. uh, two liters, which is two quarts of, of tahini, and I got a toasted sesame. Mm -hmm. oh, usually, the, the red one, like yeah. to, wow, it's amazing. It is like a yeah. cross between peanut butter and yeah. and, and tahini. It's and like they, incredible. And they the, the, did you try the black one? Yes. By the way, the, the, the one with the onion seeds. Yes, I didn't love it as much, but I could see it working really well. So that is something like super traditional. That again, in the Palestinian. Local cuisine, it will be only be used in one way. But then, like, when Israeli chefs found it, they just started using it in, like, crazy places. Like, try to think of an ice cream made from that. You know, like the black sesame Japanese ice cream, yes, for example. Yes, which is great. Yeah. So go, I mean, go have, like, something more, like, traditional Jewish. Maybe, like, a good classic babka or a good okay. rugelach, like, really good rugelach or good babka. Well, you, you can na name a favorite bakery, but the best rugelach is where? In Tel Aviv. In Tel Aviv, I would say Amida. Okay. He's looking around. It's hard to say the best, but we're right down the street. Yes, from we're the right bakery. there. We're not too far from them. Uh, they're a part, by the way, of like a whole revival, like a culinary revival of this area that really okay. didn't used to have a lot up until a few years ago. And now, you know, so Amita is a fairly new bakery. It opened like during COVID okay. and they do great rugelach, but also like really great. I think COVID was really good for bakeries. Like in, in France, bakeries were the only business. Bakeries and cigarette stores were the were the only two places that were allowed to be open. Yeah. Well, and here were, it, it, it changed the way people eat in the sense that we got addicted to food deliveries. Like, won't uh, is like crazy here, yeah. which is for Americans DoorDash, I think. And There's just different. So many different services. Yeah. So DoorDash now owns Walt, which okay. is the big delivery company in Israel. What was interesting for me, like when we had the lockdown in France from Paris. 
certain restaurants did delivery mm-hmm. or like septine. You could get a meal to go. You could yeah. have a, a septine dinner yeah. for 40 euros, which is like amazing. Yeah, yeah, this is amazing. But I, I met these two Mexican, two different Mexican guys that were doing tacos, like mm-hmm. delivered. I was like, what? This is great. Yeah. I didn't know these guys. And, and they still do it? Or? Yeah. Well, one of them went on to open a really good restaurant called the Comer in Paris. Mm-hmm. His name is Carlos Morenos. Really good Mexican food. And France was never known for its Mexican food. Delicious. And another is Rob Gold. He's a chef at different restaurants around mm-hmm. town and so forth. Nice. So this meal is incredible. You didn't try this. I did. You did? Yes. There's two dishes we didn't discuss. Yes. This is like very special. And this is, it's topped with eggs. What is it? It's fava beans okay. on the bottom. Okay. So this is what we call fulmo de mas. It's like a buried fava beans because it mm. used to be cooked in clay pots, which are buried in the ashes okay. for a long time. This is actually uh, like the classic Egyptian breakfast. Okay. Like the two most popular foods in Egypt are ful mm-hmm. and uh, kushali, but we're putting the kushali aside. Kushali. But this is uh, basically uh, fava beans, the small fava beans, not the big ones. Mm-hmm. That cook the dried over, fava beans. Yes, dried fava beans, just like dried chickpeas, that cook overnight with very little seasoning. And then they're topped with an egg that is fried in clarified butter. And all that fat you see around, it's not olive oil, it's actually... It's clarified butter. butter. Yes, it's some. It's clarified okay. butter. So it's like a bean paste. Yeah. Um, but it's so delicious. And for me, this is perfect breakfast, yeah. really. So lastly, one thing that even at breakfast in Israel, there's a salad. There's always like a vegetable salad. There's always a salad. I wish people could see the yeah. gesture. You just looked at me. You're like, oh. you're like, of course. Like, why would you not have a salad? Yeah. So we have a arugula salad, it looks like, with... Yeah. Sumac and onions. It's jaljil, uh, uh, which is arugula in, uh, in Arabic. Tomato, cucumber, onion, seasoned with uh, sumac, olive oil, lemon juice. Very simple, very fresh. Gives you the acidity and uh, you know, the lightness that that's kind of counters this, this slight heaviness that most of this food has. I would say it's a little more than slight, but it's not bad heavy. It's not like greasy. It's no, it's not greasy. It's filling. Filling. And we didn't touch the pitas. Well done, David. Yeah. It's, it's a challenge not to touch the pita because you don't need a pita for this. I mean, right. this you, you eat with yeah. a fork. Many times, one of the mistakes people do when they eat hummus is they eat too much pita with it. Mm. So try to go light on the pita, use a fork, use onion, and yeah, it'll, it'll make yeah. Your, your hummus experience much, much more. Uh, I love light. bread, but I try to eat it when it's necessary. Exactly. So. No, it is sometimes necessary, but like very little is actually needed for this. So if somebody is coming to Tel Aviv and they want to do a culinary tour with you. They should hit me up on Instagram. Okay, just send you a direct message. Yeah, for sure. And what's a typical me... tour like? There are many options. So what right. I do usually is it's either uh, restaurant hops where we'll go on an evening together in some of my favorite places in Tel Aviv and have a few dishes and, you know, one or two wines at each place. And then through that, you can get a better understanding as to what is new Israeli food. It can be a market tour. It could be a tour, for example, of like modern Jaffa. Uh, it can be and Jaffa is the old part of the city. Yes, it's the old part. But now certain foods are being reinvented here. Like okay. even this, which is very traditional, yeah. you don't find it in the classic Jaffa homeless places. Because it's like a food of, uh, it's usually of the, uh, you know, when we find it at homes, not at restaurants. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of what I do is about this. It's about markets. It's about 
it's really tailor-made. It's usually you're fluent in English, Arabic. Yes. I, I'm not fluent in Arabic, unfortunately. Oh, I'm, okay. I, I, I'm, I'm fluent in food Arabic, maybe, but... Uh, okay. I tried to learn Arabic on Duolingo. How did it go? I didn't make it very far, but I was kind of worried the government was why. And I was like, I was like, oh, I'm going to get on some list or something. Even though my grandfather was Arabic, I guess I have the right to learn Arabic. What the heck? But that's awesome. I didn't think about that. That's very funny. So yeah, I'm, I'm very the internet, internet paranoid uh, generation. Very fluent in English. Uh, of course, Hebrew is my, my native language, but I, I have a very decent level of, of English, which allows me to tell, you know, the story of this amazing place that we're a part of. And really, we didn't even touch the tradition behind this place, because yeah. if you have a look at the walls, this is a family that has about 20 hummus restaurants in Jordan, Kuwait. Okay. Uh, and they're like from a family of hummus makers. And what's the name of the three restaurant? three generations. I'll put the name of the restaurant in the, the show The name of the restaurant is El Kalcha. El Kalcha. El Kalcha. El Kalcha. I would spell it like El, like... Uh, Al. Isn't it A-L? Yeah. Uh, A-L and then K-A-L-H-A. Okay. Kalcha. It's originally... We Zizu. have the owner with us. Zizu, the owner with us. He doesn't have a microphone. Though. He doesn't have a microphone, and he doesn't speak English. He doesn't speak English. Okay, a little bit. Okay. Oh, je parle français très bien. No. Okay. And that's it. He speaks French. Oh, he said because I understand food, which is good. It's the international language. No, but this is a great place. It's excellent. Um, so his family really like they're a family of food obsessed people mm -hmm. that. All the knowledge that you have here is knowledge from his uncle, from his mother, from okay. his grandparents. And on the wall, there are pictures of the restaurants that they have in Jordan for 30 years, 40 years going on. And his grandfather was the first one to sell hummus here in Yafo okay. about 100 years ago. So he's explaining his family tree, which seems very complicated. <laughs> I don't understand the language, but so the, it's a long So Zizi was telling uh, the cousin of his mother, if you look him up on Instagram, he has more than one million followers. The cousin of his mother, he's a Kuwaiti chef in Kuwait. Okay. More than one million followers on Instagram. Okay. And he has a huge Facebook community behind him. And he was telling that when he was asked to describe, we had a visitor from Syria that, that asked him to describe his heritage. Uh, and he said, I'm a Palestinian. My mother is from Jaffa, from, Jaffa, Jaffa. from Yafo. The family is from Jaffa. He was born in Kuwait. Okay. And with a Jordanian, with a Jordanian passport. passport and a Lebanese mother. Okay. So that's so the Middle East on a plate for you. I'd yeah. say melting but pot. Their family, sometimes when I talk to people around, like they're like the Al-Kuwaiti. Like sometimes they're, they're called like the Kuwaitis okay. because they're family. But there's just one restaurant here in Tel Aviv, Yafa. Yes, only one. No, okay. for them. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, but, but if you go to Jordan, El Kalcha, it's a brand. Like okay. they have uh, their line of ready-made salads okay. sold in supermarkets. Does he deliver to Paris this food? Unfortunately, he does not. No. But maybe he will open it very uh, soon. Yeah. I hope so. Well, yeah. we're, we're getting more and more better quality, like Middle Eastern restaurants, Arabic restaurants, Israeli yeah, restaurants. He says he, he would we wanted to open a restaurant in France. Yeah, Shall I go. Wait. Are you shaking your head? No. David no? David will help you. Okay. You don't is because he, he doesn't like the food? No. He doesn't think it'll it'll, it'll, it'll go work. there. Even this, I will just say this is very brief. He didn't always make this food. Mm. Before COVID, this place here mm. was a very average cafe. 
Okay. Uh, shisha? Mark, like you know, with, the, with Nargila, with the hookahs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we smoke while you're eating. Yeah, and drinking. he would make uh, salads and bagel toast, nohon, and oh. pasta, and like oh, cool. very mundane, oh, international. Okay. Uh, so what made him food. change to become, to do Islam traditional? So COVID came, and I thought about the cost of holding a place, of having the place. It'll not, it cannot sustain itself. I wanted to do something that'll be cheap for me to make, and it will also be cheap to the people, because I thought COVID is going to be with us for like five years. Okay. So he decided to make hummus. Okay. But he decided to make hummus the only way he knows, which is the hummus of which his is family. A, which is great. I started thinking about where I originally was okay. from. And I thought of the fatah, which is also, it's not very common. It's challenging to make. And this, then that's the, the fatah. Hummus, the fatah, the hummus, the hummus with the porridge with the bread yeah. and uh, the yogurt. And, uh, this is like one of the best things I've ever eaten in my life. He says that today you see non-traditional Fateh being made like with ingredients that shouldn't be there and stuff like that. And we don't like that. But you see, that's what I was talking yeah, about, a tradition. Yeah, he will not veer from tradition. Yeah, he's negating what you said before. Exactly. <laughs> but it's true. It's very... He says, I don't want to make it more delicious. I want the original. Okay. But you can make the original delicious. The people growing up now didn't grow up eating this. That's why I'm like reviving the traditional. So I've noticed as we're sitting here, I see people walking by yeah. and they're like, should we go in or should we not go in? And a lot of people don't come in. And I kind of want to stand at the door and say, come in. A lot of people come in. It's, it's, it, it, it changes. It looks like a very... It changes during like, the day. Like I come here in the morning because I like it when it's more relaxed. People don't realize it's, an, it's a morning thing and not a lunch yeah. thing. Like it's, it's a perfect brunch. But I'm going to come here all the time. Next time I come, I may come for sure. dinner. <laughs> he's not, not open, open for dinner. He's not open on dinner. It's, it's uh, five o'clock. It's like the okay, latest. Five o'clock, they're closed. They open at 10, close yeah. at five. But food usually runs out before. Okay. Yeah. And then they close. Yes. Well, I mean, it was great to have you on the show. It, it was so I much fun, David. We can, we can, we can continue well, forever, I think. Thank you so much for joining me for brunch, I guess, lunch, Thank breakfast. you for joining me, for coming, yeah, um, to my, my home pitch. And I'm, I'm glad you liked you it. I'll be on your podcast, maybe. I'll work on my Hebrew. And or I will finally get an English podcast on the air. Okay, you're you. welcome. I'm happy to be on. But it was great to meet you again. I, I'll, I'll you see you every day. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. I meet Aronson. That is the name. And I'm going to link to your Instagram page, which is your name. And really do feel free to contact me about anything. If you need recommendations, if you need, if you're interested in food tours, anything. For me or for everybody? For everybody. Okay. Whoa, I, have whoa, a, whoa. I have a closing sentence that I always put on my tours and everything. There's nothing I love doing more than making sure people eat exceptionally well when they're in Israel. Okay. Well, I have to say that you get a five-star review from me because everywhere you sent us was top-notch. I did my parts. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, David. Um, thank you all for listening. If you want to connect with me, I'm at Substack at davidlebovitz.substack.com. Once again, I'm going to put links to everywhere where we're eating, where you can reach out to Amit, where you can sign up for a tour, read more about him, ask him questions about your itinerary. And he's just been a great source of knowledge about this wonderful diaspora food, which we're enjoying here in Yaffa or Yafo, depending yes. on... How you pronounce it, I guess. Yafo. 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 Okay, Yafo in Hebrew. Yafa, Yafa in, in Arabic, Arabic and Jaffa in English. All right. Well, thanks all for tuning in and I'll see you next time. Um, hope you enjoyed the podcast. We've got more food coming. Oh, yeah. Bye-bye. <laughs>